Welcome to the Light Switch Podcast by Luminate Student Ministries, a place for the skeptic, the Bible believer, as well as everyone in between. As you know, our world is often in the dark. Our hope is to flip the switch on topics surrounding biblical engagement, apologetic arguments, spiritual formation, and emotional wellness. We want Jesus Christ to illuminate every aspect of your life so that you can shine the light of Christ in every situation. Hey everyone, Pastor Aaron here, and this is the Light Switch Podcast. This episode is part of a series on perspectives. We've been sitting down and having casual conversations with people about how they've experienced friendships, work-life balance, and everything in between, and how it has shaped their relationship with God, others, and themselves. Today, we'll be diving into one woman's perspective on how she made sense of the Bible throughout the story of her life, but not just how she came to understand the words of the Bible, but how she came to know and trust in the God of Scripture throughout her life. The question we'll be grappling with today is, what am I supposed to do with this? We'll explain that a little bit throughout the episode, but this is all about how we can better read learn and live out all the Bible and the God that is within it has to offer. Now before we get into it, please take a moment to like and follow Light Switch, comment where you can, and share us with a friend. Now, I primarily work with middle school students. (laughs) Whenever we teach on the Bible, I see about three different responses. The first is, I already know how the story goes. The second is the infamous, this is boring. The third, and of course, the students who will just go along with the lesson and not think much about it, give much input, or make any comments. In any situation, the question, what am I supposed to do with this, is at the top of their minds. And maybe you as a listener can relate to these middle school students as well. What are you supposed to do with the Bible? One leader who has helped students work out this question, who is our guest today, and also happens to be a great friend and one of my favorite people on this planet, is Denise Humphrey. Denise, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, um, I am married to Bob. Bob is also helping out with Luminate. And we have four kids of our own, all of whom are out of the house. One is married and lives in Cincinnati, and the other three are not married and living in the area. Um, Ohio. I know. It's very sad. (laughs) And I think it broke both of their hearts to move down to Ohio. But you know what? It's a beautiful state if you just... But yeah, it's a beautiful state. You have to say that. <laughs> I do have to say that. <laughs> no hate to Ohio. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've known each other for probably what, maybe four or five years, I would say. Yeah, since we I met. started in 2017. Exactly. So this is 2023. Yeah. Wow. That's six years. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> Quick math. That's not my best subject. <laughs> <laughs> and. For quite a while, you've been volunteering with uh, middle schoolers. 
Yes. I probably started about the time you arrived or maybe slightly yeah. before. Yeah, that's how we got connected. And I was really scared to start and decided I would volunteer by greeting the students. Yeah. And, you know, greeting, one thing leads to another and then you sort of just get drawn in. And I somewhere, I think that you were here when I Yeah, maybe no, I was because greeting. you came up to us, Matthew and I. And you wanted a list of the students so you could pray for them by name. And Matthew and I looked at each other and we were like, who is this woman? <laughs> we need her on our team in uh, a really active way. So we were really excited that you were actually really wanting to love on the students. Thanks for letting me love on the students. Hey, anytime, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the structure of this podcast is to move throughout Denise's life and ask the question how she experienced and interacted with the Bible during certain seasons of her life, childhood through adulthood. Then after getting to know her story, we will conclude with some key takeaways that will help us all better read, learn, and live the Bible together. Let's get into it. All right, Denise, so I assume just from what I know about you, the six years that we've been friends, You've probably had the Psalms memorized when you were six years old, right? Oh, good heavenly days. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. Neither of my parents were believers at that point. My mom had grown up in a Christian home. My dad had grown up in a churched home. But anyway, it wasn't until I was about nine years old I came home from school. It was a hot May day, and we actually lived in Ohio at the time, which is how I know it's a pretty state. Um, but it was a very hot May day. I came home. There was smoke coming out of our chimney. My mom had a fire in the fireplace, and I came in and basically said, Mom, what in the Sam Hill are you doing? <laughs> as and a nine-year-old? As a, yeah, actually eight at the time. Sorry, I was eight. And she was burning the Buddha. My dad had brought home a Buddha from Vietnam, and we had a Ouija board, and we had. Oh my God. Do you know the magic eight balls? It's so you you came home out. at eight years old, and your mom was burning a Ouija board and a Buddha and a Buddha and a magic eight ball. If you know what those are, I do. They're like classic toys, but you know. It, I was shocked, and I said, why are you doing this? For one thing, I loved that Ouija board, and I loved that Buddha. I would rub his tummy every day. Oh and um, she said that she had become a Christian and that she just could no longer have any Buddhas in the house. So my thinking, this is as an eight-year-old, mind you, I remember clearly thinking, yeah, we'll see how long this lasts. Wow. Because she was, you know. She was prone to um, fads, as I think all of us are. Like Ouija but, boards um, and Magic 8 Balls? Well, no, just more fads <laughs> as in sure. what's fashionable. So you, you were certainly. skeptical about her statement of being a Christian? Yeah. Okay. I was very skeptical. And um, I, I can totally see that. I could see that in my own children at about that age as well. Um, but anyway, watched her for almost a year from May through February. In February, I believe my brother prayed with my mom to receive Christ first. And we've had an 
this ongoing conversation. We're not sure who who prayed to become a believer first. But my thinking was, I thought I remember thinking, this whole family is going to heaven, and I am the only one going to hell. Wow. And I did not like that idea. So I asked wow. my mom to pray with me um, on a Wednesday night when I was nine years old in February, and she did. And, um, I, and God honored that, obviously. However, my life was still a lot of ups and downs through the years. So that is not to say that I was growing in Christ from that point on. There were many downs. So we're talking about Bible study and Bible engagement. What did that look like for her and for you, your family, as she was growing in her faith and as you were seeing that? Part of what I saw in her that attracted me to Jesus was she began reading her Bible. She began going to Bible studies during the weekday while I was at school. But nevertheless, I could see the results. I could see her friendships changing. She was developing much deeper friendships with um, the people that she was going to Bible study with. And I could hear that in her conversations with them and with us. So she had her own personal quiet time and then she had her Bible study time with her friends and other believers. Um, Eventually she started having outreach Bible studies Later on in my junior high and high school years, uh, my parents were of that hippie era. Oh, yeah. We've got Ouija boards. We've got Buddha. We've got Magic 8-Ball. Oh, yeah. we got hippies, and we're not even 10 minutes in. Oh, yeah. And we also (laughs) have no seatbelts in the cars. (laughs) Or probably helmets. We lived well. Oh, no. Heavens, no helmets. (laughs) But we would, on Friday nights, my parents had opened their home to mostly college students. But, and I was in, yeah, as I said, middle school, high school at this point, to see other people excited about their faith. And I remember this from sixth grade on, seeing other people that were excited about Jesus was a shocker Mm. to me. I had always thought church was so boring, and there were these kids who were, inviting their friends to come to church because they were so excited at what God was doing in their lives. Yeah. It's fabulous and shocking. So you constantly saw that in your mother's life was a communal excitement over Christianity and over scripture worship. Did you uh, have any devotionals that you were working through that helped you better understand Christianity, not just from your mother's perspective, but owning it yourself? Yes. In about sixth grade is my earliest remembrance of my mom buying these books called Ten Basic Steps of Christianity. Oh, yeah. And I doubt they exist anymore, but they were little booklets, and they were ten booklets. Get it? Ten basic steps. And it was all question and answer. It was look up the scripture and write down the answer to the question. Basic steps. The basic steps. Um, And most of it was what we would call regurgitation today. Mm. However, in any kind of learning process, there has to be that beginning step of regurgitation, of learning the basics. So those 10 little booklets um, played a large role in my growth. 
she refused to buy me the next book in the line until she showed me that I had finished the first book or the second oh, book or the third book. So I had to wait each time. Wow. <laughs> yes. But I loved going to that bookstore. In fact, at that bookstore where we got these 10 basic steps of Christianity, I also bought a t-shirt that said, I am a Jesus people. <laughs> so there you have the hippiness of it. <laughs> I'm learning so much about you. <laughs> I was so proud of that t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> What did that look like for you when you stepped into college? What did faith and Bible, your relationship with scripture look like for you in college? I was fortunate in that I was the youngest in my family and my three older siblings had all warned me ahead of time to get involved in a Christian group. And my one of my sisters, Stephanie, had actually gone to William & Mary before me and she knew of InterVarsity. So she said, get involved with InterVarsity right off the bat, mm-hmm. which I did. Um, college itself was a very difficult time, I think partly because the college that I went to was a fairly competitive college, and I was not prepared for it. I was not repar- prepared academically at all. So I was thoroughly intimidated academically. Mm-hmm. Um, And I found myself clinging to God as best I knew him. So during those years of college, that was when I first learned about inductive Bible study. Yeah. Which is you're no longer having your food chewed for you. You you are having to read the word and chew it up yourself. Right. In very large portions. Yes. Yes. My my most vivid memory of learning about inductive Bible study was reading the book of Habakkuk on a retreat, mm. a fall retreat. And all of us were so excited about reading the book of Habakkuk. It was just an incredible experience. And, um, you know, we had all of our colored pencils out there and we were using one color to circle all the, I can't remember, prepositions and yeah. any word that might signify a time change or any word that showed a contrast between um, you know one concept or idea right Um, anyway it was just really fun to completely tear apart Mm -hmm. the book of Habakkuk yeah and now you're not talking about a literal destruction or violence (laughs) no (laughs) for people who don't know listening to this what inductive bible study is you are Uh, discovering what's in it. So you're finding patterns, repetitive words. You are looking at uh, comparative statements or contrasting statements within a large portion of scripture. And often, as you're saying, that looks like you, it can look like a page of rainbows with different colored pens and highlighters. And yeah, so that was fun for you. That was really fun. But um, yeah, so you had to look back into the history of what was going on in Habakkuk's time yes. and why the whole book was even written and and why Which did that God gets into more exegesis. Aha. Right. So now okay. you're explaining the text. Right. So you're taking it as it is in, in, in an inductive and then exegesis is now what's the historical context and what what story is being told in full. Okay. And then the final step seemed to me anyway um 
was to figure out why did God preserve this? Why was this piece of scripture maintained and kept and considered part of the Bible? And why was it important to God to preserve those words for us, for future generations to read? So those were some great, great years of study. I think following on to that, um, as we were learning about inductive Bible studies, they were also, InterVarsity was also training us in investigative Bible studies. Mm. And that was where you would take a scripture, you would do a Bible study, maybe plan for four to seven weeks um, with a scripture, and you would target just a few friends who maybe had never heard the Bible before. Yeah. And we would do an investigative Bible study together. So we've got two things going on. We're taking in food through Mm -hmm. inductive Bible study, and then we're pouring out onto other people through the investigative Bible study. Wow. So you're growing in a deeper knowledge of Scripture, how to bring out what Scripture has to offer. Right. And now you're in the position of having learned that, having to pour it out of you and teach what did that right. feel like for you? Were you intimidated? Were you excited? I was very intimidated because, for one thing, remember, going back to what kind of a school this was, highly competitive school, I was not on a par with all the other academics. And I found two people to join me in this investigative Bible study. One was a young girl named Melissa who was an absolute sweetheart. As far as I could tell, she had not been churched through her life. Um, she knew she knew a little bit about the Bible. And then there was another guy whose name I have unfortunately forgotten, but he talked about hippies. This guy was a hippie, um, barefoot and or flip-flops through the winter months, <laughs> long hair and a ponytail. I feel like I'm describing one of my Maybe sons. Maybe we should title this episode, <laughs> Denise and the Hippies. <laughs> That's funny. Because <laughs> I'm really not. I'm too old to be a hippie. I mean, no, I, I'm wrong. I'm too young to be a hippie. <laughs> clarification (laughs) but so this guy was a hippie though he was older than me he could be a hippie he had long long hair we love the hippies oh and he smoked a pipe i forgot that part he He smoked a pipe um anyway so we did this investigative bible study on the book of john and i believe it was about a seven week study yeah and um but the end result for me in that time of investigative Bible studies was I felt like a failure. Hmm. I felt like I had not had answers to questions and I kind of thought to what end? To what end? I didn't see either of them drawing any closer to God. I couldn't see that with my own eyes, you know? Yeah. Um, So I guess I had hoped to see instant results. What I really wanted to Mm. see was, oh, this is fabulous. I've never read this before. Oh, this is what I want. And that was not what I had seen in the investigative Bible study. And it wasn't that. It was not that. For for these people. So you're, you're teaching people as you were taught to learn observations in Scripture. That's inductive. And then a critical explanation and interpretation of scripture which is exegesis and now you're being like why isn't that attractive to people <laughs> right <laughs> and, y- and you feel like you felt like a failure 
Yes. When people weren't as excited. Right. Mm. Right. And I also felt like I had Welcome to, to have middle school. Yes. It's <laughs> great preparation. I, I can I can relate to that for sure. I'm I get very geeky about interpretation and observation and then I'm like, but isn't it so interesting how many times that uh, John says the word light? <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. And they don't respond with, Aaron, that's so cool. Right. <laughs> yeah, so this was a time of uh, being so excited, but then feeling very depleted for you. Yes, and I think a lot of it also was I wanted to have answers for all of their questions, and mm. I did not have the answers. Mm. And I felt like because I didn't have the answers, nowadays I would just say, hey, that's great that they're questioning. Yeah. At least I tell myself that's what I say. <laughs> but um, but I wanted to have all the answers, mm. and I did not, so. It was a good time to learn to just obey. I was being obedient and to cling to God and to leave the results with Him. So you're in the situation where you have just graduated university and you moved to Switzerland for a year. What was that experience like, a different culture change, and why did you make that decision to go to Switzerland? That is an excellent question. I do not know why I decided to go to Switzerland, except that I loved, <laughs> I just loved the idea of it and was able to get to Switzerland as a nanny. <laughs> so that's how I got there. That doesn't help the why, other than I just thought it sounded really exciting. I yeah. had been an elementary education major, so I thought, hey, nannying goes right hand in hand with elementary education. Yeah. Um, so got there. My nannying job was a piece of cake. I had the sweetest little three-week-old baby. Um, so that was a that was a really easy time. The difficult part came in just in having been fairly independent and on my own, and then going to Switzerland. I was living under someone else's roof, and and had to kind of abide by their rules, even though they were very kind people. Mm. Um, it still was living by someone else's schedule and not my own. What did it look like you going to Switzerland? Did you get involved with a Christian community there? What did that look like for you? I did. I remember the very first Sunday I went looking for this church. I had to take the tram and the train in from the village where I was living into Zurich, and I had a Palastrasse 8 on, written down on a piece of paper and then the name of the church was Neue Evangelische Gemeinde or something like that, which I couldn't pronounce at the time. So I just kind of had to find the tram that would take me to Apollostrasse. And then when I got to Apollostrasse, I had to find number eight. But I was stuck there from then on. That was my home. That was the most wonderful, vibrant community yeah. of believers that I could have hoped for. And I have here, just from our previous conversations, that... You got involved with uh, a group of women there. Yes. That you call the the Knitting Nannies. The Knitting Nannies. Yes. And actually, they, I mean, we were all, what, 21, 22 years old. <laughs> so, and, um, so not Knitting Grandmas. No, not Knitting Grandmas. No. Yeah. <laughs> the Knitting Nannies. Um, we, we all 
every Friday night, I think it was, or maybe every other Friday night, we would pick the scripture for the next week. And between, from Friday to Friday, we would read the scripture. And then when we got together the following week, we would talk about the scripture and we would share what we felt God was saying through that scripture. And we would be knitting at the same time. Right? <laughs> so, so you're taking a lot away from this uh, church in, in Switzerland. You're learning how to knit. Oh, yeah, so much growth. <laughs> you're learning how to problem solve, uh, yes. how to get one location to the next. And you're yes. also learning how to navigate a personal interpretation of God's word. I, I see a lot of shifts going on in your relationship to Bible study. Right. College was very formidable and critical for yep. you as you critically approached the Bible. And now you're saying this is a little bit more of a personal question that I'm bringing to the text. Yes. And I think a lot of it has to do with just solely by the fact of going to Switzerland. I was flinging myself into the lap of God. It was, um, I had all of my comforts were taken away from me. You know, I had no family. I had no built-in friendships. Mm. Once I got there, God sent me wonderful friendships that I maintain contact with today. But it was just God and myself. And Mm. to read the scripture at that point seemed silly to study it because it's sort of like when you're in love with somebody and you get a letter from them, you read it and you reread it. I remember doing this when Bob would send me letters to Austria and I would take them to a park and go sit and read them and reread them and reread them. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt with scripture reading and Bible reading in Switzerland was just I didn't need to study it at that point because it seemed like every word was so alive and so vibrant mm. and so much a letter from God, from someone who loved me. So it was, yeah, huge change and growth, but growth in that it was a gift from God. It's not something that I could ever have planned. And it was only, it's only in reflecting back that I can see the difference in the change. Part of the requirement in being a nanny in Switzerland was taking German classes. And every Tuesday and Friday I would go into town and we would have two or three hours worth of German classes. And from that class I made some very dear close friends um, and we would always go for coffee afterward. It was for all of us. We weren't all nannies. I mean, everybody had various jobs. But we would meet for coffee afterward. And there was one friend from Turkey, a guy named Erkan, who had been a Kurdish, he was a Kurdish Turk. And um, the Kurds were fighting for their own country. Mm. And the Turks that were not Kurds were looking down on them very much and, and mm. wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. So Erkan had fled to Switzerland because he had been fighting for his Kurdistan. And in Switzerland, as we began talking around the coffee table after class, he started asking me questions about Christianity. Mm. And he was a fairly devout Muslim at the time, although he was a questioning Muslim. So he started asking me about Christianity, and I started asking him about the Muslim religion. And we ended up swapping 
I gave him a New Testament Bible, and he gave me a, not the Quran, but a book about the five pillars of the faith, the five pillars of the Muslim okay. faith, and with the assignment for each other. He asked me what he should read in, in the New Testament. I told him the book of John, and then I asked him what I should read, and he said, the whole book. So I read this. <laughs> it was a small book, granted. Um, True. But so I read the book, and then he came back, and I was expecting to just, you know, discuss what we had read. Well, Erkan came back, and we talked for hours, and he had memorized chapters 14, 13 through 18 from the book of John, memorized them. Chapters. Chapters. And his questions, rather than who is Jesus, mm. why, you know, is Jesus God, that kind of stuff, which are huge questions, mind you. But he would say, when Jesus said, do not fear, I go to prepare a place for you, what did he mean by that? Wow. And um, when Jesus said, I and my Father are one, what did he mean by that? And then later on, when Jesus went to the cross, of course, you know, what? just his questions were all pulling out the Bible verses from his own brain. He didn't have the Bible with him at the time. Yeah. And asking me what was going on there. Denise, had you ever experienced anybody who had memorized that large of a portion of the Bible before? No. And I had never seen anyone ask questions so passionately and with such fervor. Curiosity. Curiosity. Yeah. It was... It was a phenomenal experience. And I don't know what has happened with Aircon. I don't know whether he ever followed Jesus or not. My gut instinct tells me that he did. He disappeared for several weeks during our classes. He was gone for two or three weeks. And all of our friends were saying, anybody know where Aircon is? No one knew where he was. Well, when he came back, he came back very clearly bruised. He had yellow bruises around his face and on his arms. And um, a friend of his said that he had been beaten by one of his Muslim mentors for spending too much time with those Christians. And you being one of them. Me being one of them, yeah. Not only that, but giving him scripture. Right, right. I've often wondered what happened with that New Testament. Was he able to keep it, or did they take it when they beat him? I don't know. How did it feel seeing him like that and knowing that you were part of his story? He became part of my story in that because, as I said, I was looking at the Muslim faith. He was looking at the Christian faith. And I was not looking at the Muslim faith as... How do I prove this is wrong? Hmm. I was looking at it from the perspective of, why do I think Christianity is right? Wow. And why is it any better than the Muslim faith? Or why is it any better than Hinduism or Buddhism? Or now today's, it would be New Age. So he became part of my story because when I saw the passion that he had, and at one point in his questioning, he said, I just want to know if there is a God. And if there is a God, who is the true way to God? And 
his questions have struck me at that time as well as even now that he clearly was not content where he was in his beliefs and it somehow solidified for me the fact that Jesus is so merciful and Jesus has, is the only religion who has actually made a way for us to know God. So to sum up that time, those the year in Switzerland, and particularly the time with Ericon, um, the one thing I can say is I had never seen anyone question so intensely and with such passion and fervor as I saw in Ericon. And also, my takeaway from it for, for God allowing my growth is that I was clearly a wobbling believer. I was not the person to answer Ericon's questions. Um, but I was able to plow up the soil. We both had questions, and we gave each other the freedom to ask those questions, the freedom to leave some questions unanswered, and if not unanswerable, just at that point in time, unanswered, and the freedom to look for answers. Yeah, and just to clarify, for anybody listening and, and find yourself in a similar mindset of Denise, just because we do not know how to answer a particular question does not mean you are a wobbling believer. Right. I know that's not what you're saying, but just to extra speak some light into that situation. <laughs> that is an excellent point. Questions are absolutely crucial to growth. And yes. if we don't ask questions, Einstein asked bazillions of questions. Yeah. So, which sets us up to uh, the broader story of your adulthood. Uh, we've seen your childhood as the foundation of learning the basics of the Bible. We've discovered your college history as learning how to bring out observations and learn how to critically explain the text. Now, after college, we learn that you started to have a personal discovery, searching, and questioning of the Bible, mm -hmm. not in anything that caused you to doubt faith, but pulled into your faith. It does seem like the majority of my growing and strengthening were in the younger years, and then there's been a lot of solidifying in my older years. Um, but as a shout out to God's kindness, if you remember, let's go back to the story of Melissa in college. Mm. After I came back from Switzerland, one of my friends from Switzerland came over to work at a summer camp that I had worked at previously, and we got together on a Saturday morning and she was describing a prayer group that she had at the camp and they would pray together I think it was like three mornings a week or something like that and one of the girls that she prayed with was a girl named Melissa and 
It was the same Melissa <laughs> that I had had that investigative that's bias. That's crazy. Anyway. And it, that just gives me chills right now. So now in the times where you felt so like a failure and inferior, God was like, you silly girl. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like God's just, you know, dangling up saying, look what I just did, you know. <laughs> and who knows what was going on in Melissa's mind during those years in between. God. God knows. Yeah. You know, it's just so... That is really, really a kindness from God. So that's a shout out. Thank you, God. And then you started to become involved with a group, Community Bible Study. Is that what that's called? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was involved in Community Bible Study for several, many years, eight, ten years, I think, particularly through our homeschooling years and beyond. Um, and that is a great study. I know a lot of people are a lot of my friends are still in it today. That's a really, really good study. It is also a study that at times I felt that they were asking to have particular answers. Mm. It, they would ask questions, and sometimes I felt like they were trying to guide me into a particular answer. And there were times that I would write, well, I think it wants me to say blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I feel blah, blah, blah. Or it seems to me it needs a little bit more studying before I could come up with that answer yeah so I think through the years um, I have learned to become more comfortable with either leaving things unanswered or saying I don't know the answer to that but I can study it a little bit more dig in a little bit more and your disagreement if that happened to be the case with a certain answer or question interpretation of the Bible did not keep you from still attending uh, community Bible studies. Right. Which is, I think, a really important thing. Yes. Is that oftentimes when we find that we disagree about a certain interpretation, we're very quick to pull ourselves away from that community. Now, if it's an essential of faith, you know, those are make or break things. That did not keep you from that group. Right. Absolutely not. And yes, I think we, we need to be able to leave some of our questions unanswered but where we find it necessary we need to learn to dig in and not just say I don't want to give that answer we need to say okay let's see what God has to say about it so this was a big portion of your adulthood before we get into our conclusion wrapping this all up what is your current relationship with scripture and study and reflection now right Currently, well, I have for several years now been reading through the Bible chronologically using the YouVersion app with the Bible Project. Yes, cool. That's an excellent app. Um, I also really am appreciating memorizing scripture using the Bible Memory app because at my age, I begin to wonder, does my memory even work anymore? There are many days where I'm not I sure mean, my memory only 30. works anymore. Oh, yeah. Th- oh, right. I forgot. I'm only 30. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really been fun, exciting, and exhilarating, I would say, to memorize Scripture. And those nights where I lie awake without being able to sleep. I mean, I've had nights like that ever since I was 12 years old. However, where I used to lie awake and be anxious... I lie awake now and try to go through the scriptures that I'm reading, and it's so exciting to see the patterns woven 
throughout the entire Bible, as I'm memorizing the scriptures, I'm seeing that same pattern of the scriptures that God leads me to memorize. So just really exciting. Who is God in our story? And how do we understand him? In light of your story, our question is, what are we supposed to do with this? The Bible is a big book. It was written a long time ago, and we are living life now. What are we supposed to do with this? Denise, how can we read, learn, and live the Bible better? Let's start with reading. Based off of your story and what you have experienced in life, What are some key takeaways for our listeners? How can they better read the Bible? I think a lot of it has to do with where we are in life. First of all, um, I would say we don't want to cherry pick scriptures. So I think there's the book, How Not to Read the Bible. And um, one of the chapters is Never Read a Verse. Yes. And by that they mean choose large portions of scripture, a whole book if you can I mean maybe not in one sitting depending on the book but get get the whole background um, and there are times for that but in looking back on my life there are times where God has used the pretty uh, in-depth Bible study like the college years there are times also where um, I feel like he's relied more on devotionals mm. if if I have the moments, particularly when I came back from Switzerland and was just tired, mm. um, the devotional that hit me at that point was My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Mm. I read that for several years in a row, reading the scriptures that would go along with each day's reading. And for that point of time in my life, that was perfect. That mm. was exactly what my soul needed. So and that being said, I think flexibility, you know, don't we tend to want to say this is this is the best way to do it well there is no best way to read scripture it kind of depends on where our heart is where our mind is whether we're tired whether we're awake whether we're lively Um, but one thing that you don't want to avoid and that is community Mm. wherever we are in life we want to be following up with community and um, for each of our own kids Bob's and my kids the community has been different depending on what their interests were but it's always they've always been able to find a group of believers Mm. that they can cling to and form community with and spur each other on um, pray together Mm. and read the Bible together so what I'm hearing you say is read large portions of scripture whether that means maybe a chapter at a time even depending on the book size a book at a time mm-hmm. but avoid as much as you can not saying that single verses are not valuable but single verses do not have much to offer us in context right and be good with foundational books that offer us 
basic understanding, such as devotionals or, as you grew up with, the 10 foundational (laughs) uh, Bible basics. 10 basic steps of Christianity. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There is a time and a space for that. Be flexible in method, but persistent in practice. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, find a group of people to read and interpret the Bible together. Yes. Yeah. This is how we can become better Bible readers. Now let's jump into how can we better learn the Bible? So not just read the words on the page, (laughs) but take it in, (laughs) absorb like a sponge. How can we learn the Bible better? I would say a lot of it for me, especially in those early years, I was just reading it to look for the answers. Mm. And, um, I have to say, my heart was not particularly strong in that, which is so often the case where we're just, we're looking for the answer to figure, okay, I got that answer, write it down, move on to the next one. I got that answer, write it down. Mm. And we don't make it through the entire book. There's no, you know, we're just too busy looking for the right answer, quote unquote. So don't make it all about finding the right answers. I think so often we, the pet phrase that we hear all the time is, What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Mm -hmm. And we need to avoid, I think, the what does it mean to me and ask more, what does it mean to God? Or why did God preserve this for future generations, including myself, to read? Mm. Um, that's, That's one thing that I have learned in recent years. And then, obviously, from my Switzerland years, talk about what we don't understand. If yeah. there's, if we have questions, ask them, yeah. and never be, never be afraid, never be embarrassed to ask questions. How we best learn the Bible is not to only find the right answers. It is also not asking the question, "What does it mean for me?" But why did God preserve this for the generations to come? The bigger questions. Yeah. yeah. And it's not to but say that the Bible does not have anything uh, that can be learned about us. We should also ask the questions, what does this mean for me? Do I perhaps right. need to repent? Do mm. I need to confess something? Is the Holy Spirit convicting me, encouraging me to do something that maybe I'm not, or maybe I am doing. The Holy Spirit has a huge role in how we approach Bible learning. So that question, what does this mean for me, is not a totally void question, but we're saying it is not the first best Now, you're a parent, but you're also a student volunteer. So I want to get your two perspectives on this. How can we better live the Bible? That is probably the question of every parent out there. And so I think I would like to talk to the insecure parent because that is the parent that I was, have been for years. Um, And just remind 
those of us who are insecure parents that God gave us our children. We are stewards of our children. He would not have given us a particular child if he were going to then say, oh, whoa, you really botched that up. You know, I, I thought that kid was in great shape until I gave him to you, and then you really botched him or her up. So God has made us stewards of his children with a big task. Second um, Peter 1, three says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And that means God's given us everything that we need in order to be a godly parent. Maintain that reliance on God and the reliability of God. Just remember that he is reliable. Also remind yourselves that our kids are going to need to separate from us. Mm. And we need to be secure in the fact that God is the one who will reach our kids. Mm. We can't make that choice. I can't choose for any of my children for them to follow God. They each have to make their own choice. Mm. And that's scary because as we watch them growing and growing physically as as well as emotionally, mentally, um, spiritually, we also watch them walk away. Mm. And that's so hard. And I remember having a conversation with one of our kids who was questioning and he told me he was questioning things about God. And um, at the time I said, oh, that's great. I'm so glad. And he said, you are? And his, his impression had been that I would be absolutely crushed that he was questioning. And I, I was crushed that he thought that because mm. we want our children to question. We don't want them to stuff everything and leave all those questions no under the rug we have a big enough god yes that he allows us and welcomes us yep. to question exactly but questioning towards him right or i should rather say questioning towards truth yes questioning toward truth and um yeah and there's a whole lot of grace in that yes so to the insecure parent let your kid question let your kid walk away if need be because God's bigger than that. Um, and then the last thing to the insecure parent is your children are watching you. And I, just as I was really questioning my mom and kind of doubting, thinking she was going <laughs> through some fad, um, I watched her. And and then I watched my dad become a believer in maybe I don't know five ten years after that so um, they do watch us and actually for that matter my dad was watching my mom so to you spouses out there who have a non-believing husband or wife they're watching you too and and God is faithful in that as well so yeah Um, and then I also we don't want to fail to address our insecure students I mean no, and I will say I I certainly was that insecure student that wasn't raised in a Christian household and I tried to figure it out myself and I had no clue what I was doing until I went to Bible college mm-hmm. <laughs> yes yeah. and even then I think and I've never been to Bible college but I'm guessing that for you in Bible college the more you study the more you realize 
whoa, I really don't know very much. Oh, I knew nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was and shocked at yes. how nothing I knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even now, I think the more that we learn, the more we find out how much we don't know. No. So, but to our insecure students, don't give up. But if you have questions, don't quit asking your questions. Um, and I would say, if you can get into reading scripture, um, that will eventually change your life, but don't expect changes immediately. Mm. Don't be discouraged if you are trying to get to know Jesus and you want to have all these happy, fuzzy feelings. Sometimes they come and sometimes they don't. Yeah. And if they're not coming now, then who knows, a few years down the line, God may present himself to you in exactly the way you want him to present himself right now. But um, God is his own personhood, and we cannot pigeonhole him into being some sort of figment of our imagination. We can't create mm-hmm. him to be the personality that we want him to be. So when we are asking questions, I think we can ask with a joy and a freedom, because who gave you your questioning mind? Mm. Who put those questions in your mind? Mm. Isn't it God who created us? Isn't it God who created us to ask questions? So if we are chicken, too chicken to ask questions, <laughs> then we're too chicken to be what God created us to be. But, but it's a variety of things that can cause that. Mm. So it's not just about being chicken. You know, a, for a lot of people, it can be, if I start to question this, I lose my entire community because sometimes Christians do not handle questions well. (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, And the vice versa, too. So, yeah, if you are that person, please don't feel shame for questioning. But there is that space, too. And there's also the caution there. Dear students of ours, don't give up your questioning. Continue to question, continue to read your Bible, continue to seek God, continue to look out for community and participate in your community. And lastly, don't rely on your feelings. A lot of times we are doing all the right things, but we don't feel the presence of God. And what we are telling you is don't give up just because you don't feel God's presence. Our feelings are so important, though. God does not, nor Christianity does not, ignore our feelings. But they are good indicators for us. They are not good interpreters. So I love what you're saying there, Denise. Yes. That is so important. I like that, too. Indicators, but not interpreters. Yeah. Very good. So to sum us all up and to end this episode... We're going back to our original question. In light of your story, in light of all of our stories, and what God has to offer through Scripture, what are we supposed to do with this, Denise? (laughs) (laughs) That is a very good question, Erin. I think one thing that we can end when we are reading God's Scripture, we need to ask God, what do you have for me to receive Or what do you have for me to ask? Or what do you have for me to depend on Mm. in this particular passage? So let's be sponges for what God's word has to offer us 
so we can read, learn, and live it out with grace and truth. Please. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. I learned a lot about you. Um, and <laughs> another word of note Uh-oh. to anybody out there that oh we can boy. learn from Denise. Uh-oh. Burn your Ouija boards. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Throw away your magic eight balls. <laughs> I was not sure what was coming there, Erin, because uh, you did learn a lot about me. <laughs> I did. Oh, man. Thanks, but, Denise. Yeah. This has been thanks, awesome. Thanks, Erin. Yes.